one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and no other above him. Uh, to love him with all your heart and your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that the man answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I like that part. <laughs> okay, he's got it figured out. So that's where we come today, right? To the one who has it figured out. And I know, and I'm going to try to figure this out also, uh, those who are, uh, I maybe didn't get a chance to hear the announcements or you're watching this later, uh, I realize that you may not know there are people in the room with us now and then hopefully uh, volunteers, leaders, and their families and kind of our pre-regathering. But next Sunday, uh, we are hoping and planning to be in the room together, those who want to be here. And again, go online to see some of the things around that if you don't have an email that shows that. But one of the things I'm going to have to figure out is I've been staring at a smiley face for the last 10 weeks that setting usually sets right there. Uh, in that middle aisle so now it's way back there and there's people in here so we'll see how this goes okay so be patient with me as I again start to work through this new uh, world we live in and uh, but it's a good world in that sense that we are able to do things that 10 weeks ago we wouldn't have been doing to reach more for the kingdom of God how many of you ever done a renovation in the middle of that renovation, while you're working on it, and you've heard me say this before, right in the middle of it, you're going, what in the world would we get ourselves into? I wish I could just go back. Because, yeah, I may have an idea of what I want and have a picture and all the plans and all those kind of things, but, man, right in the middle of it, it just doesn't seem to be worth it. Many of us have traveled through undesired and difficult transitions in our times and it could be you know in our lives many of them could be like a it's often like foreclosures or you lose a job or your marriage or there's things that you travel through that you man you just wouldn't wish honestly on anybody else your child rebelling but the reality is those such times provide some of our greatest opportunities for spiritual growth because God desires, I believe, to meet us in the middle of the chaos. To meet us in the middle of our emotional upheaval. To meet us there. I know I'm sniffling. I want to, I'm going to address that real quick. I've said before, I think I'm allergic to preaching. I know I say that often. But especially when I cry during singing, it's just pointless to even try to fight it. But work with me. And... Uh, that's the reason why people are sitting 20 feet away from me. I'll get right now, now for the spray. Uh, Andy Stanley says, and I don't have the quote up, but I think you'll understand it. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you have a problem that seems to have no solution? Your job, your marriage, 
or your life is stuck. You're miles from idea, no good options. What do you do? You look down the road and all you see is more road, no rest stop, no exit, and that's all you see. I love what Jeff Mannion has said, and I heard him preach on this years ago. He wrote a book called The Land in Between, and he's talking about Exodus 16, where the Israelites are out in the middle. They've left Egypt. They've been brought out of this bondage they've been in, but they're not in the promised land yet. But they get out in the middle, in the land in between, and some difficult things happen. They're not, they're not where they want to get to. That's the one thing, at least about renovation, that you can kind of count on going, I know what I think I'm gonna, it's going to look like when it's finished. What if you don't have any idea what it's going to look like when it's finished? You know you've left somewhere that you're never going back to, but you have really no clue what it's going to look like when it begins to come back together. The land in between. They're unable to go back, he says, and incapable of moving forward. See, when God, often in my life at least, when God begins to change us in significant ways, he does by allowing us to get uncomfortable. Where we're challenged maybe even some of some of our blind assumptions. We talked about last week, blind spots, things that even our own personal life, but even how we think. We talk about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the newness of our minds. Of a new way of thinking that God begins to make things right. And that's the way we think or should think. I'm just going to tell you some of the assumptions over these last few weeks of mine have been challenged. You know, one of the things that I didn't mention enough last week about the Holy Spirit and breath, but one of the first things in creation, right? To give life was God breathed into mankind to give him life. And and I know for all of us, I, I believe in all of us in this room, horrified to see a man begging, as Mr. Floyd was, for a breath. The very thing that God gave us in creation. And look at that and goes, that is not what God intended for us. That is not it. And obviously we all know that, but and we see it and our heart breaks. Or it should. Because for me, in some ways, I know it's not perfect, but my assumption is, is everyone is against racism at times. I just assume that. Because I just don't think about it. Because how could anyone not value another human being? It just doesn't. I, I, I can't quite get my mind around that. And it's easy to think, since we've passed the civil rights laws, right, everyone's treated equally. We wrote a law. We have laws in America that are anti-discriminatory. We have laws on posters in our workplaces. We sign documents that say you can't discriminate based, we, we have those. 
And I hope along the way we have made some advances. Don't misunderstand. I think, you know, I, I don't want to speak out something I don't know, but I do think we've made some advances in that. But the reality, though, is some is not always enough, obviously. I'm so glad to be a part of a, of a denomination who, who, who takes a stand. I just want to read this. Because we, we minister and we, we hopefully love people all around the world, but we're, we're planted in 160 world areas. And man, the, 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 the places that, we, that God has put the Church of the Nazarene, you're talking about a plethora of situations and circumstances and all the things that go on there. But one of the assumptions is sometimes I think we read this and we go, yeah, in that part of the world that needs to be said or that part of the world this needs to be said. But the reality is it needs to be reminded here and lived out. I just want to read this part of it. It's not all of it. It says, we urge our churches everywhere to continue and strengthen programs of education to promote racial understanding and harmony. We urge each member of the Church of the Nazarene humbly examine his or her personal attitudes and actions towards others. Therefore, we renounce any form of racial and ethnic indifference, exclusion, subjugation, or oppression as a grave sin against God and our fellow human beings. We lament the legacy of every form of racism throughout the world, and we seek to confront that legacy through repentance, reconciliation, and biblical justice. That doesn't make the Church of the Nazarene perfect. By no means, because no doubt there's racism probably, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, inside of it in different places. And I'm not saying that, but I also got to realize that when I read that and have read that before, I can't just think it's somewhere else. Yeah, those people over there sure need to be praying that. They sure need to be thinking that. Because it's overt. It's obvious that it's there. As we said last week, we think we cannot be confused being a peacekeeper as being a peacemaker. A peacekeeper's intent, as honorable as it is, is to not have open conflict or tension. But it never deals with the underlying cause. They just don't want tension. A peacemaker actively works towards peace. As I was listening to Coretta Scott King this week, she said a lesson her father taught her, true peace is not, the merely, not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. It's not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. Man, do I agree with that and hopefully have tried to live into that. But however, these last few weeks, these truths have come into a more clear focus for me. I am realizing I don't realize how big the problem really is, how much there is for me to learn. And I realize in different circumstances and uh, from the black community specifically, different people have different experiences, obviously, and, and they would share them differently. 
I mean, you, all you got to do is watch TV and realize different, they, uh, people come from different vantage points. And those are, I think, awesome because I want to listen on all sides the best I can understand it, work my way through it, ask the Holy Spirit to help me f- just kind of process it. But I was thinking, and I hope it's understood what I'm trying to say here. Is that I've been pulled over by the police several times in my life, and I have a tremendous respect. And I was taught that. And when you get pulled over, you is yes, sir, no, sir. And of course, I was raised in the South. We did that pretty regular to everybody that was an adult, but we did that. One time, I was up at three miles from our house or four miles from our house, and I, I uh, was with a friend of mine, and I was in my SS 396. Uh, 69 SS 396, it would knock a hole in the wind. It would go. And so I pulled out of the lighthouse drive-in, and I was, I was manually shifting an automatic, and I was going through there and realized I had not shifted into third gear yet, and I dropped my cherry root beer right in my lap, and it just went all over me, and I hit third gear, and I ran about 110, 120 miles an hour all the way to the house, parked it in the garage, going to work on it. And about a minute later, I see going by the chain link fence at my dad's car lot, going past the cars was a Arkansas State Trooper. He comes around and pulls in right behind me. He goes, what's your hurry? And I explained to him what happened, and he gave me a a ticket for going 70 (laughs) because he couldn't catch me to see how fast I was really going. And that's the truth. I've been pulled over many times by the police in my life. Every time for the right reason. (laughs) Every time. And in those moments, I have this great fear where the heart starts pounding. I have this great fear. I have this fear of being grounded by my parents. I have this great fear of my insurance going up. But I have never had a fear of being harmed. I've never, I've, it's never crossed my mind. And all I'm wanting to say to you is there are things that I don't understand and, I, and I, I don't understand the pain and I don't understand the frustration, but I want to the best I can. There's injustice. There's anger and fear. And the word I have heard this week by people I respect and people maybe I don't know enough to know whichever way, but from T.D. Jakes to different ones that I have listened to and wanting to get to know more, to learn more, to, to understand this more, is exhaustion. Exhausted from carrying this. Not just exhausted because we've all been tucked away for the last 10 weeks and, and, and we're exhausted from that. Exha- but exhausted from carrying something all their life. Just exhausted. And I realize in life, and, and I realize we can't do every, be activist in everything that happens in our world that's not right. I, I get that. And we watch it on the news, and a lot of times, if it doesn't affect us personally, we just kind of move on till there's a next noose, especially in the cycles we live in today, how quickly they get there. 
Again, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be an activist for every cause or injustice. But concerning justice, meaning making things right, I love what T.D. Jake says. We can't all do the same thing, but can't we all want the same thing? It's a kingdom question. That is the question. The kingdom of God is near. You're almost at the kingdom. What does it mean? Not only to know what the right commandment is, but to live the right commandment. He said to him, you're wise. You're near. What was the word he says? He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But it can't just be what I know here. It's got to be what I live there. I'm also coming to understand that the efforts over the years to confront racism, to educate students about racism, can make me feel like I've done enough. If not careful, missing the larger call. My biggest prayer for me during this time, for me personally, because I'm not trying to heap something on you that you, you may not want to try to, I don't know. I'm, I'm saying, Lord, right here, right now, not what, 10 years ago, not two years ago, not two weeks ago, right now. That's the reason why even stepping in here this morning to some, some degree, I'm hesitant not on what I believe. I'm not hesitant about what I'm convicted of and hate racism and, and, and I, I need to know more about how to act on that in good ways and hate discrimination. And I, I hate that. I, I want to hate that. But I also need a new understanding of what I may have been missing along, all along the way. I'm asking, Lord, because the reason I say this is, I don't know if anybody wants to listen to me right now, but I want to hear. I don't know that I got anything to bring to the table in the middle of all this, but what I do want to do is to listen I don't want to look up, and when the sports starts back up, this is just something, well, we've moved on now. Again, like the next news cycle, we've moved on now. And I'm not sure what this means. Please don't hear, I've got some kind of great plan, because I don't, because I'm listening. You know what we said during the whole COVID? Being prayerful, watchful, thankful. Paul said to make the most of every opportunity, not opportunistic, but make the most of every opportunity. Take those times and go, I'm going to grow this upheaval, this chaos, this thing that I'm feeling. I'm going to lean into that. I don't know where it's taking me, but I trust the one who's leading and leading my life. That's Jesus. I want to make sure you understand that. Seth Godin, I read this morning, just came out this morning. I just thought, I, I love this quote. He said, hearing happens when we're able to, he said, hearing happens when we're able to recognize a sound. Listening happens when we put in the effort to understand what it means. 
It not only requires focus, but it always requires a commitment to encountering the experience, intent, and emotion behind the words. And that commitment can be scary. Because if we're exposed to that emotion and those ideas, we discover things we might be avoiding. I realize and I've always got to take in consideration and give a lot of grace because deeply held beliefs by someone, I've got to believe, I've hopefully have some deeply held beliefs and I've got to listen. How many times if you look back in your life and, and in the middle of chaos, in the middle of upheaval, middle, we look back and go, God, I see what you were doing now. <laughs> That's what you were doing. Because one thing about entering into the wilderness, and those who know me, I've said this over the years, when I'm in that wilderness season, and I think we all go there, we go through it. But when I'm in it, I don't ask as much, God, get me out of the wilderness. My question is, God, what can I get out of the wilderness? Because I don't want to go around the same mountain again. I don't mind going around the mountain and learning the lesson, but if I keep going around the same mountain, if I keep doing the same thing and we come back at the same place, there may be something I'm missing. There just may be something I need to be paying attention to. And not just hearing, but listening. You know, it took... It took one day for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. I'm 60 years old. Been a Christian 30-something years. And he's still working on me to make me what he wants me to be. I want, to be a, I want to be moldable. I want to be part of the solution. And again, as T.D. Jake says, we may not be able to do everything, but we can sure want the same thing. We can want justice. Because we as believers, and let me say this, I said this back about COVID, that virus, that by the way, we still... Don't know where that ends either, do we? <laughs> or what that means. Trying to be careful, trying to be wise, trying to listen, to be watchful and prayerful, thankful. But we said then, we are a people that are mystical and rational. We believe that God is supernatural, can heal, and he can do as he sees. We also believe that he works through modern medicine and science. He's both. We can live in that tension. Now, I don't know the steps to this, and I'm listening, and I'm going, if, where can we step? Where can we help? What can we do along the way, or what can I do? I guess maybe is a better way to say it. But one thing I'm convinced of, that the answer to, to racism is not just spiritual, which it sure is. The virus has been there a long time. It is spiritual but it is also practical. We may have to do something. I don't know what that is. 
but I'm asking. And I'm trying to listen. I love 1 John 3, 16 and 18. We know what real love is because Jesus gave us his, gave his life for us, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, and literally that means a gut, re, a gut feeling where you shut off your gut reaction. Not just compassion, but it literally the translation that you, the emotion that should rise up to do something different, you're shutting it down. I want that visual. I'll just... Brother Paul used to say, compassion is if my feet are cold, if your feet are cold, my feet are cold. I'm gonna, and, I, and he said, I don't like my feet cold. <laughs> I'm going to do something about it. Here's the, the kicker, right? Dear children, let's not merely say that we have love for each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. There's a difference. There is a difference between saying, I would never do that. We would never do what happened to Mr. Floyd or, or others that we can name here. I would never look down on someone because of anything, race specifically in this case. I would never. But there's a difference between that and going, I'm going to see what I can do to stop it happening around me. There's a difference between those two. There should be both. One's a heart, super, the supernatural, and one's the practical. <laughs> I'm going to do something about it. Now, it may be small ways, how you raise your children. I mean, there's a lot of things we can start doing, and I hope you've already been doing, is that it's just not acceptable. From there to, then we kind of start going out from there in your own heart, in your own home, and we'll start working our way out. But we know there's more. I love Martin Luther King's statement. We must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. I went on and listened to Brother Paul's sermon from last Sunday from his kitchen table. Those of you who haven't looked at Friendly Chapels, he's doing it from his kitchen table, Facebook Live. He's just Brother Paul. But that's what he basically started his message out with that. And one of the things I love about what Brother Paul says, he says, church, I want you to know we don't have to change anything. We just got to renew what we've been doing for the last 50 years. Wouldn't that be a great thing to say about your church? We don't really have to change anything. And I don't mean that he doesn't mean anything. But what I mean is the why they were there in the first place is for racial reconciliation. What a great place to be able to sit in the middle of all this to go. We're just going to renew ourselves anew to what we've been trying to do for 50 years. I 
I love what T.D. Jake said also, and there's others I've listened to that I have great respect for. He's basically saying as beautiful as our land mass is here in America, and hopefully I'll get a chance to see some of that, and hopefully you'll get a chance to, since we can't go anywhere else in the world, we'll just drive around in America, right, or fly. But uh, he said America is a concept, not a land mass. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He said the ideal and the reality gap has to be closed. I love what Seth Godin, another quote from him, says there's a space between where you are now and where you want to be, ought to be, and are capable of being. A gap between your reality and your possibility. I believe we must do better as a nation. I don't know what all that is. We must do better individually. We must do better as a church. And be willing to confess and repent and to allow God to change us. Because one of the things I know about justice, there's no limit to it. It may be in scarcity in how it's being applied, but it is not scarcity in the kingdom. Justice, when it's for everyone, everyone wins. As Brother Paul is saying, when you're good to others, you're always best to yourself. Sounds self-serving, but you know what he meant by that. When justice for all is true, it's justice for all. We all rise. I told this before, but Josiah, you can come on down as we go to time of communion. As I stood over there this morning, and why the Lord, and I, I know why, but you know, now's not the time, and someday maybe talk about things we've, our journeys with this particular subject. We all have a story about how we've tried to walk this out in our lives. And there's no reason to go into that in my story today except this part of it. Because I know what mine and Jan's intention has been. Not perfect, not doing enough, not sitting here trying to say, hey, look what you did. That's not what I'm saying this morning. What I am saying to you is this, though. I wish I could find that young man, young black man, that was standing there at Comiskey Park in 1990 when Jan and I walked out of that stadium that was burnt most of his body, no hand, with a bucket. And Jan and I dropped those few coins or dollars. I don't know what we dropped it, probably dollars. But, but, and we walked on away, walked away, and we looked and both of us had tears growing down our face. When I got back to Texarkana, I told Jack Martin, our youth pastor, hey, some, God's stirring something. Else. I don't know what this is. God, he goes, you need to meet, go meet Brother Paul Holderfield. And as we can say, the rest is history, and we won't go into all that today. But, but I wish I could go to that young man 
I look at him, his face has never left me. It's never left me. Now, I think I'd almost recognize him if he walked. Obviously, there's a lot of things that had happened to him. But I want to tell him, man, you made a difference. You made a difference. Maybe not enough, and maybe we've not done enough, and I'll confess that. But he made a difference. He may not have been trying to. But folks, all it takes is a moment. All it takes is a circumstance to change your heart if you allow your heart to be pliable. That's all it takes. And it may not be this particular thing that you are as an injustice that you want to, to, to take up your full time or whatever that is, but something. But this is where we are right now. As much as my heart is broken over these last two weeks, and for some of us who want to speed through it and get to the other side, I hope it lingers in my life at least, to be renewed, like Brother Paul says, a renewing of my strength, renewing of my heart, renewing of my mind. To not say where I was was bad. It just needs to be more. How about some guilt trip? It's not the intention. It is an awareness to be renewed and to be changed for the good of others. And then when you're good to others, man, you're, you're best to yourself. This time, we are going to go in time of communion. It's the Lord's Supper, if you have yours. I forgot my pimento jar. I was going to grab it before I left the house. I know you guys miss it. And just to be honest with you, the crackers I usually bring are way better than these. But as we have been reminded over these last few weeks, we come today in remembrance of the one that we believe with, and convinced of with all of our heart is the answer for every man, woman, child of every race every ethnicity whatever the right word for everyone what we talked about Pentecost last week the ground is level it's just level at the foot of the cross and we've been empowered to even the Holy Spirit comes to change even our thinking not for condemnation but conviction and conviction moves us forward so we come today in remembrance as Christ was with his disciples. He said, when you eat and when you drink, you do this in remembrance of me. Take now and eat the bread for your comfort. that same meal he took the cup 
said, this is my blood to shed for you. Drink. Lord, I come before you today knowing that as we came before you to remember what you have done for us, Then you empowered us to be changed and to be an instrument. To be spiritual, to be in the supernatural, but to be practical, to be people of action. But we need your help right now around the world to countries we probably couldn't even name or know where they were on the, on the globe, people are being oppressed. People are dying for their faith. People are dying because of, because of the color of their skin. Lord, help us. We can't do it all, but we can want the same thing. And then we start looking where we can do something. But whether it's in our schools here, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our own heart, first, whether it's at the ballot box, Lord, regardless of the D or the R or the I, those that represent the kingdom, whether they know it or not, <laughs> Lord, you've used people throughout history that didn't know they were being used. <laughs> But Lord, help us be wise to represent your kingdom. As you said to the man, you're wise. You are near the kingdom. And Lord, you ultimately said in your first sermon, repent for the kingdom of God is near. You say, you go, people are saying, where is it? Look over there. In a man's heart. Lord, let us represent you well. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for this opportunity today to share your word, be together, to sing for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We sing. Is it close?